please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Good morning, everybody. I am Doug King. I am your host this week here on GeorgiaCarryRadio.org. We are having a very thrilling week, not only in the Georgia legislature, but in the news and nationally. And, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of my time today dealing with national politics, even though it is predominating the media that everyone is focused on Iowa, what's going to happen on Monday. You know, I'm looking at this like a Jimmy Buffett song, you know, come Monday, it's going to be all right, because at the end of that, at least we can move on to New Hampshire and then South Carolina in a couple of weeks, and we can maybe get some of these people off of the stage and off of the, the debates that are happening before i know one of the commentators said it's time to to call it quits on the the kitty table and and the 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 pre-debate debate among the people who don't have a shot and i think that that's you know at it's kind of scary i'm a political science major i've been following politics all my life and to think of the iowa caucuses as being late in the game and i've heard that a couple of points you know i've heard a couple of of national commentators say look this late in the game or at this point we're already people already have their minds made up you know traditionally this is supposed to be the the early preliminary primary beginning of the election season. This is supposed to be the point where it is just at the very cusp of getting started. And it's not until you start to really rack up delegates and, and see how things happen in Iowa and New Hampshire that gives a, a hint. And Iowa and New Hampshire were outliers. These were the states that would pick, you know, uh, you know, what was his name? Uh, Bill, Bill Bradley, right? Who, who ran against uh, Al Gore back in 2000. I don't, and no one even remembers his name. He had a heart condition. He um, was a former basketball NBA star, and he became, I believe it was a senator, and he was running against Al Gore. And he was the, the outlier who took New Hampshire, and it catapulted him onto the national scene. And, of course, nobody remembers that who's listening to this show, because one, everyone who's listening here is probably a conservative, Republican, or, or, or libertarian-leaning individual who doesn't take any notice of the Democrat primaries or the Democrat debates. And you get spoon-fed this pablum from the, the national media about what the Democrats are or what they're doing or how Bernie Sanders is leading now and Hillary is you know, fighting to get her, your place and talking about nominating President Obama to the Supreme Court. My goodness, folks, what an absolute pandering move. If I've ever seen a pandering move in my life, someone who is under threat of being federally indicted by the Obama administration suddenly starts talking about uh, appointing the president to be the Supreme, to the Supreme Court as long as she makes it to be president. Now, that's a little bit of a spin, too, because I heard the actual question. I, I know a lot of you have not actually heard the question that was posed. One of the people in the audience said to Hillary, would you put Obama as being Supreme Court justice? And she kind of was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but sure, that's a great idea. I never thought of that. I would have to ask some other people if he would even be interested, and he's got other things he wants to do. But, yeah, if he wanted to, whatever makes you happy, vote for me. It wasn't really this, you know, oh my goodness, you know, I've, I've got a 
concrete plan that as soon as I'm in, I'm going to put Obama in, and we've discussed it, and we're going to have him be a Supreme Court justice. And well, you know, the truth is, is that the next president is going to appoint a lot of Supreme Court justices. There, there are some good conservative people on the bench who are going to be stepping down. I don't know. Scalia is what 150 now, and and. I miss the good old Rehnquist days back when the court actually had the, the gromba to do something about what was going on in this country in a positive direction where now it's just, you know, a bastion for progressive thought. And that's another thing. You know, we talk about Donald Trump not being a conservative. I've seen that bandied about a lot. Donald Trump is not running for a nomination to the conservative party. Donald Trump is running for nomination to the Republican Party, which is a broad party made up of a whole bunch of divergent groups. And we had to think that there are two parties in this country. There's Republicans and Democrats. Republicans are conservative. Democrats are liberal. That is not entirely true. Both are coalition parties. Both are parties that are made up of people who have divergent viewpoints, who come together around a central idea. And for the Republicans, that central idea has been a less liberal mantra. But that does not mean that it is a conservative organization or that it follows conservative principles. There are conservatives in the Republican Party. There are conservatives in the Liberal Party, Democrat Party, and there are conservatives in the Libertarian Party. But that does not mean that the entire party is conservative. There are liberals in the Republican Party. They used to be called Rockefeller Republicans. And some of you may be old enough to remember the Rockefeller wing of the party back in the 70s. A lot of us these days are not. And those who are old enough to remember generally are not even involved in politics enough to care is the experience I've had in Georgia. So Rockefeller Republicans were pulling the, the party in one direction. You saw a, a the Walter Mondale rebellion that was going on in those years. And it really formed and shaped the, the direction of the party. And in the midst of this this debate that was going on in the 70s, you had Richard Nixon, who had left in disgrace. You had Gerald Ford, who stepped in, who was a mediocre president, right? He was a good caretaker president. He stepped in. He couldn't even get his own party's nomination afterwards. And we get Jimmy Carter. Arguably, arguably, and this is a hard thing to say here in Atlanta, Georgia, because I can practically throw a rock and hit the Carter Center. But arguably the worst president that America has ever had in the person of Jimmy Carter. Not a bad man. I, I appreciate the work he's done for Habitat for Humanity. I appreciate the work he did in desperately seeking to get the Nobel Peace Prize, which they handed to President Obama without him having to do anything. I mean, what a slap in the face to President Carter after decades of hunting the Nobel Peace Prize, to see it be handed to Barack Obama for nothing. But still, I mean, he's done great work in his private life. But as president, the man was horrible. Just flat out, he was a horrible president. But in light of that horrible president, the floundering of the Democratic Party and a, a true divide in the Republicans between what is it to be a Republican? Is it conservatism? Is it trying to win elections? Is it just making do with what we have what is the guiding principles of the republican party this was what was happening in 1978 and 1979 this was the change that was going on in this country and in the middle of that change came one man a man who was not an establishment candidate he was a former democrat who came forward in order to be able to say hey I think that we can do something better with this country, and it's time to make America great. 
It's always morning in America. And onto the political scene, the national political scene, came Ronald Reagan. Now, the heir apparent, the man who was supposed to take over, the establishment candidate who had made his career in the CIA, George H.W. Bush, was shocked when he lost the nomination to Ronald Reagan and ended up taking a subservient position as vice president to bide his time through the Reagan presidency and then pop out on the other side and run for president again on his own. Now, I say all that as lead up to, and I'm not going to spend the whole show on national politics. I promise. We've got things happening in Georgia. We got Georgia Tech doing crazy things. We got campus carry. We got lots of, lots of good gun issues to talk about in Georgia. But my goodness, folks, we need to really take a second and look back at our history, our political history in this country, because 1979 and 1980 were not that long ago, right? We're talking 35 years ago. This is what was going on in this country. And we, by golly, need to know what's happening and what did happen. Because when this political outsider comes and sweeps through the nomination on a promise to make America great, whose foreign policy was bold and extravagant, who went and accused the Russians of being an evil empire and said things that were wholly provocative and destabilized the, the, the pat establishment geopolitical scene. It caused the Soviet Union to crumble. It caused America to hit the greatest two decades of economic explosion that we have seen pretty much since World War II. I mean, following World War II, there was the 50s were an, a year of economic boom. I mean, we had decreased uh, the population of, of young men, and we had increased our production capacity and expanded our factories, and that was amazing. But if you look at the late 80s through the, the mid-90s, when the economic repercussions of the Reagan administration were in effect, my goodness, what a, a decade of prosperity and boom and uh, hope. Hope and change that we had been hoping in back in 2008, or at least the country was hoping in, that didn't, you know, materialize. But here came someone who did all that. And I see the same groundwork being laid right now. I see the same divide in the Republican Party on what is it to be a Republican? Is it being conservative or is it being someone who will win elections? Because the last two nominees we fielded were so horrid that they couldn't even, they couldn't get the base to come to the polls. I mean, if you can't even motivate your base, what good are you? I held my nose under the promise that, well, vote for John McCain because, my goodness, it won't be as bad as Barack Obama, and Obama wins. Then they run, you know, that bastion of conservatism, that bastion of the Republican base, Mitt Romney, right? Romney care, gun bans, liberal Massachusetts, let's have him be our candidate. I couldn't even vote for the man. I couldn't even bring myself to do it. You know, there are people who say, well, if you don't vote, don't complain. They're not voting is a political statement in and of itself. When you've voted your whole life, when you've devoted a good portion of your life to understanding and working in politics, to see it implode that way and have Mitt Romney become the Republican candidate when he lost and the, they, they seem to want to run the loser every single time. You, you lose and won. And then that person loses the presidency. So since you lost to the loser, we're going to give you another shot. It's idiocy. It is absolute idiocy. And the way that the establishment picks people is just insane. And there's collusion between the establishment and the media to help promote the candidates they want to have. Now, folks, we're coming up on a commercial break. I'm going to finish this thought, and then we're going to move on to Georgia politics. You're listening to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio. We will be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. 
Okay, folks, we are back. And when we went to the break, I was talking about this collusion to help pick the Republican nominee between the establishment and the media and working together that they promote a certain candidate. This year is different. This year is just like 1980. This year is just like when Reagan came on the scene. And here's why. The establishment candidate in 1979 was George H.W. Bush. The establishment candidate in 2016 is Jeb Bush. I mean, is that not ironic in some deep-seated, emotionally troubling way that we're watching the history unfold with the same characters generationally, one after the next? So here we have the Republican candidate. And Jeb, if you're listening today, and I'm sure that Jeb Bush is a a frequent listener to GeorgiaCarry.org radio, but Jeb, if you are listening to my voice, if you're picking me up on a podcast somewhere, or this goes viral, and you're listening to me on YouTube, here's the deal, okay? Sir, I'm sorry. You're not going to win. You said in the debate Thursday night that you have there is a a great difference between me and Donald Trump. I remember hearing you say that. There's a huge difference between me and Donald Trump. Yeah, that difference is called 40 points in the polls. When you have spent at this point more money than Donald Trump, Marco Rubio, and Ted Cruz combined, and you're polling at 5%, Pitch in the towel and go home. You are wasting a whole bunch of good conservatives' money or possibly more Rockefeller Republicans' money because there is no way that you're going to triumph and and recapture this at this point. Who is America looking for? America is not looking for someone who has a great track record in doing what has always been done in Washington. That's why our top frontrunners... And not just in the Republican Party. Not just in the Republican Party. Let's look at the top three frontrunners across the parties. We've got Donald Trump, who is out there being the most outlandish, outspoken craziness that can be. You've got Ted Cruz, who has pissed off the entire Senate, the entire RNC, and everybody he's basically ever met in his job. And he is coming in a close second to Donald Trump. And then, on the Democrat side, you've got Bernie Sanders. And I think Bernie is going to win Iowa and New Hampshire. You can put me down on that. He is going to win both of those those primaries, is my prediction. And the reason is, is because Americans across the board are sick and tired of politics as usual. We are tired of the Republicans saying, we're going to beat the Democrats and do everything the Democrats do. We're tired of the Democrats saying, we've got to beat those Republicans and give them in on things that we think are important as soon as we win. Because we have to compromise. We have to work together. We have to get things done. And what are they getting done? Things that hurt the American people all the time. What's getting accomplished in Washington is what hurts the average middle class American. Now, there, there, this is something that I've said before. All of America is middle class, right? There's one poor person under a bridge somewhere, and then you've got Bill Gates and maybe those three people who won that the $1.6 billion jackpot. But other than those four people, those are the rich, and then there's the poor, and everyone else is middle class. You walk up to any person in this country and say, are you rich, poor, or middle class? They will say, I'm middle class. How much do you make a year? Uh, 40000 a year. Okay, how much do you make a year? I'm middle class. I make 1.6 million a year, but I'm middle class. How much do you make? 15 grand a year, but trust me, I'm middle class. I'm not poor. I'm not rich. I'm just making it, doing okay. 
Wish I was doing better. Had imagined I'd be doing better by now, but I'm middle class. So, but the, the true middle class, the middle class in, in the traditional sense of middle class were people who had a skilled trade. So we're talking doctors, lawyers, bankers, um, high end welders, tradesmen. And I suppose in this age, you'd have people who are doing, you know, software engineering and, and things like that. But engineers, Mechanic business owners, business owners of, of blue class, blue collar trades are people who are traditional middle class. They are people who are not making minimum wage. They're people who are making a little bit better than an average salary so that they have disposable income. And the way they choose a, a, a good, healthy middle class chooses to invest that income in ways to expand that income. So instead of just buying things that are fun or frivolous, instead of, you know, spending it on, on, on fancy restaurants and, um, entertainment, they, they buy durable investments. You know, in our case, we may be talking about guns or, or buying, you know, gold or silver, physical gold and silver, investing in a stock market, uh, bonds market, uh, real estate investments, things that have a, a chance for the investment to mature and to create more wealth to advance their children. And that is the idea of the middle class. Everything that the government is doing in D.C. is designed to tear down the middle class, to keep people from having disposable income, to make them reliant on a government, to give them basic necessities, and then to coax them into spending what little income that they do make into wasted, frivolous items that do not have any durable use or do not have any are made up entirely of transient value to keep them poor. When you're able to spend $300 on a cell phone that's worth 10 bucks in six months, that's a waste, okay? That's just a flat-out waste. If instead of spending $300 on that cell phone or $600 on that cell phone that's worth 10 bucks in six months, if you had bought a $500 really good firearm, in six months it would still at least be worth $500 if you bought it used so you didn't have the depreciation markdown. In two years, it might be worth $700. In 15 years, it might be worth $1,000. And so at least you've hedged off inflation and kept ahead of the curve on something that's durable and usable rather than something that's completely wasted. We have become more and more focused on electronic goods as a symbol of wealth and structure when electronic goods are not durable, they are not, uh, they do not increase in value, and they are not a good place to store money. Now, it may be necessary. You may need to have a good laptop or a good desktop or a good pad to do your work. And there's nothing knocking that. But it is a waste. It is a business expense. It should not be a status symbol. And it definitely is not a good place to put your money in something that is not durable. So we are eroding the values that make the middle class. We have a, a culture in the establishment that promotes this in every way possible. We give money to corporations that encourage people to waste money instead of investing money. We attack industries that create durable goods, things that have continuing importance and value in society and for future monetary recoupment, all of this goes into a, a theory to make America poor. And in the middle of all of that, we start to hear voices that say, no, no, I don't have to play your game. Donald Trump says, I don't have to come to your debate. I don't like what you're doing. I don't have to come. I'll go do something else. And you know what? The entire media spends the entire week talking about Donald Trump. You know why he hasn't had to spend the Bush money? Because he can get the media to talk about him all week without spending a dime. In fact, he can go raise $5 million for someone else and get the media to talk about him as if he had spent $5 million trying to get the media to talk about him like Bush does. 
Think about that for just a second. Trump can raise money for someone else and get enough free advertising more than Bush can spend the money to get the same type of advertising. It's a crazy world, folks, because we are tired. We are sick and tired of the politics. We are sick and tired of seeing the Republican Party give the give the farm away in budget deals. We're sick and tired of of meaningless movements in Congress and the legislature. Now, here's a great way for me to segue into Georgia politics, because there are a lot of things that happen in in Congress and in our legislatures that are meaningless. They are pandering for votes. These are things that have no hope of going anywhere, no hope of doing anything. It's just meant to rattle sabers, rally the base, get people talking about it while real things happen. I think the most real thing that's happened in the Georgia legislature this year is the budget. It's terrifying. We are spending a lot of money. Why are we spending it? How much time was invested in spending that money? Not nearly enough. How much time is going to be invested in talking about gay marriage in Georgia? An awful lot compared to the budget. This is insane. Their job is to be stewards of the money that they're stealing from us. And taxation is theft. I don't care how you structure it, how you talk about it, how nice it is, how fair it is, how important it is. Taxation is theft. I accept that. I accept it. And I accept that living in a certain society that I am going to be taken and robbed at least once a year. And it is just the price for doing business. Is is there's no way around it. But inherent in that power that we give the government to steal from us comes a responsibility of that government to use the money wisely. If they're going to take and by under threat of force deprive us of our lives, and that is what your money is. Your money is a physical representation of a piece of your life. And when you have someone who is non- ungrateful when you spend money on them, get rid of that person out of your life. Because you have taken and spent your hard-earned dollars, money that you got from the sweat of your brow, from the power of your intellect, from the investment of your time and your effort to get that money. And if you waste it on someone who is not appreciative of it, then they have stolen a piece of your life, just as if they had locked you in a box or thrown you in a dungeon or in, uh, in a pit in their cellar and told you to put lotion on your skin. I'm telling you, there is no difference between someone who will take your money and someone who takes your life because they are equivalent factors in the way our society works. Folks, we're coming up on another commercial break. We'll get back to Georgia in just a minute. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, folks. So, when we took our break, I was kind of dialing in on the Georgia legislature. And there are some things going on this week in Georgia. Some which really are important to GeorgiaCarry.org, some of which are not so much. And the, the sideshows are really bothering me. You know, we're, we've got an awful lot of debate about gay marriage and protecting people. And, you know, I could care less. Here, I'm going to go on record on position when I finally get to run for president or whatever. You can dig up this episode and play it for whoever wants to hear it, because here it is. I don't care what you're doing in your bedroom. As a conservative Christian, I think it's wrong, but I don't care. That is not my problem. That is between you and God. And if you have a problem with it or you feel bad about it, don't do it. 
If you don't feel bad about it, then who am I to tell you what to feel bad about? That's between you and God, and if God makes you feel bad about it, then you shouldn't do it. And if you don't feel bad about it, I'm not going to tell you to feel bad about it, because it's not between you and me, it's between you and your God. Boom. That's it. Gay marriage debate over. Next question. So if you can do what you want in the privacy of your home, should you be entitled to government protections? Yes. Does that mean that you can force other people to believe what you believe or do what you want them to do? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So if you want to get married, the government should have to give you a license. Does that mean an individual clerk has to give you a license? No. You can't force one clerk to do it. What if no clerk anywhere at all will give you a license? Well, then whoever passed the law or wrote the Supreme Court decision that says that you can have it should have to come and give it to you. That's it. There is somebody who's willing to give it to you. And if this one clerk or that one clerk won't do it, then go and find someone who will and then just change the law so that they can issue that license. And let let Sotomayor come down to Tennessee every couple weeks and hand out hundreds of licenses. More power to her. And that's the end of the debate. Now, can you make a baker do your cake if they don't want to? No. For the same reason that you can't make a baker let me open carry in their restaurant, even though I have a lawfully issued government license to carry my gun, they can put up a sign and say, we don't want you here. And if I walk in with it, they can tell me to leave. And if I don't leave, they can have me arrested for criminal trespass when they told me to leave. So why should... A baker have more protection from a lawful gun owner who is doing nothing wrong than they have from a gay or lesbian couple who wants them to bake a cake. Why do they get preferential status? Now, I think that in Georgia, particularly, it's not going to change for decades or, or maybe generations before we get to a point where we don't hold that private business can do whatever they wish. Unless, of course, it's not paying taxes, because then the government doesn't like competition, right? So as long as we have this fundamental cultural norm that private business has a right to do whatever they wish, when is why, why is this different for a gun owner than for someone who's ordering a cake for a gay wedding? This is not something that we should be spending our legislative time on. <laughs> this should be a no-brainer. We should just say, hey, you can't force someone to do something. That's it. You have a right to be protected from discrimination from the government. The government cannot dictate that people cannot be bigoted. The government cannot dictate that people cannot be racist. The government cannot dictate that people cannot be horrible, horrible people. I'm sure Donald Trump, I'm sure anyone who lived in New York City would tell you that it is their God-given right to be the most horrible person that they can be, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, my goodness, why are we trying to legislate morality? Why are we trying to make people be good people? They're not. People are not good people. People are bad people. And we can't make them be good people. I've been in criminal justice my entire life, okay? There is no way that you can take someone who is in the criminal justice system and make them a good person. You can warehouse them. You can give them the opportunity to reform. You can help them along. You can take away the problems that are in their path that you're keeping them from succeeding. But you cannot make them be good. When we gave... All of these rights to gay and lesbian couples, some went out and rejoiced and celebrated and quietly got married and are living happy lives. Some of them are used it as a weapon to attack people who believe differently than they do. And that is wrong. And people who use their freedom to attack another person are wrong and they're bad people too. 
So we can't change bad people. You give people rights, bad people emerge and misuse their rights. It's just the nature of politics. It's the nature of humanity. There's no way to fix that. So let's stop wasting our legislative, precious legislative time on that and start working on things like tax cuts, appropriate spending, cutting budgets, making reforms in the way that our judicial system works. Let's do things that are meaningful. But no, no, we need to spend all of this time rehashing things that are already done. And then on top of that, we get a campus carry bill. Now, there are a lot of heated opinions about the new campus carry bill, and I'm going to step on a lot of toes. And if I suddenly disappear from the show, everyone here will know why. (laughs) Because I think that this campus carry bill, and this is my own personal opinion, is a horrible idea. I think the thing passed years ago. It passed. It passed unanimously in the House. It passed with only one vote shy in the Senate of unanimity. And it went to the governor, and the governor signed it. We have campus carry. Not just college campus carry, but K-12 through campus carry. It exists. It is Georgia law. It was signed. It is an actual public law. And you can go and look it up. And they ignored it. The, the governor did this weird shell game and argued that you can't do what happened. And he wanted to ignore it. You can't ignore it. It is law. And debating it now just robs the, 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 the gravity of what happened. Now, I'm, I've got a case that I'm fighting that we're going to bring all this up, and the judge hopefully will side with us and will say, no, the law is the law and campus carry exists, and if the legislature doesn't repeal it, it exists, and the legislature won't have the, the guts, the gramba, to go ahead and repeal that law, and the governor couldn't sign it if he did, because he would be absolutely throwing himself and the entire Republican Party in Georgia under the bus. And we're going to fight it that way because sometimes you have to step back and use the rights that were given and hold people accountable for what they've done. And the legislature and the governor have already passed this. It is law in Georgia, and it is going to be the way it is. And you know what? If we just knew about it, if they had had, again, the grombas to put it in the code book so that people knew that they could defend themselves, then people wouldn't be getting robbed every day at Georgia State. Have you heard this news, folks? I, I was flabbergasted. There have been so many robberies at the Georgia State Library that they are now closing the library. Public university libraries have always been open ventures. This is a place where people can come and learn on their own. The whole point is to have a collection of books that are not readily available. You go to your, your public library that's, that's run by your county. You're probably going to have a decent children's section. You're probably going to have a whole bunch of young adult novels and some adult novels. Not, not like adult, adult novels, but adult novels that are geared for adults like, like, you know, Jurassic Park or Star Wars books or things like that. And a few reference books, but you're not going to have deep-seated treatises on law or, or geology or political science or history. You're going to have kind of the fluffy, here's a few, you know, books that are popular to read. Where you get the, the good textbooks, where you get the good first-person narratives and the historical documents and the sources are in public university libraries. And they have always been the reservoir of public knowledge for people to go in and learn from and read. And here, here in Georgia, we now have the police chief down where the university, or excuse me, the, the Georgia, uh, Georgia State is located here in downtown Atlanta saying, we're going to close off the library to public use because it's just too dangerous why on earth is it too dangerous 
Why aren't the people who are going into that library just able to defend themselves from the robbers who are there? Why are the robbers looking at Georgia State as being a perfect opportunity to rob people? Why aren't they robbing people on the street outside? Well, I will tell you why. It is because people believe erroneously that Georgia State is a gun-free zone. The robbers know it. The students know it. So the students go and they get robbed. The robbers hang out there. And instead of just allowing the students to defend themselves, to take care of themselves and others, to be able to apprehend or, if necessary, kill the robbers who are threatening their lives and limb in order to put a message out that this is not a place where you want to be robbing people, instead of allowing individual freedom, instead of allowing individual responsibility, we're just going to put up more cameras and lock people out of knowledge because it is far better to deprive masses of the ability to get at information and knowledge than it is to allow a few people who are responsible, licensed, trained, intelligent, college-going students to carry a firearm and self-defense in their library, which is so dangerous that the police admit that it's too dangerous to allow the public into we have really gone through the looking glass on what is this country, what is individual responsibility, and what is important. When you can look at the camera with a straight face and say, well, we know people are being robbed left, right, and center, so we're going to put up more cameras and not allow as many people to come here because it's just too dangerous to allow other people here. But you cannot see that they're not being robbed a 100 yards off a of campus because their robbers are afraid of getting shot where robbers know that people can defend themselves. If you can't see that, it's not. It's willful. This is willful ignorance. These are people who just will not accept the truth. And it is, it is shocking, it is dismaying, and it is basically another commercial break. So we'll be right back, folks. Um, we'll be talking about how to join Georgia Carey and, and hold the legislator accountable in just a few seconds. We'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. All right, folks, we are back, uh, finishing up the last segment of this week's show. I know that we've been kind of a little bit off topic. Maybe some of you are thinking, where's Doug going with all of this? The truth is, is that the government needs to be held responsible. And the only way to do that is not, is elections are good because it gets the right people in sometimes, but even the right people, when they get in, have to be held accountable. And that's the problem we've seen with the Republican Party nationally. We've seen people who promised that they were going to reform the budget and then give away the farm. We've seen people who promised to repeal Obamacare and instead just draft proposed legislation that sits and does nothing. They have to be held accountable. Our Georgia representatives need to be held accountable. The way you hold them accountable is being a part of a group that's going to watch out what they're doing and get you rolling to get in contact with them. GeorgiaCarrier.org can't do anything, folks. It cannot do a single thing without you calling, without you emailing, without you showing up for the, the different committee hearings and subcommittee hearings, without you knocking on your legislators' doors and saying, hey, I'm GeorgiaCarry.org, and I want to see this and this and this happen. Without your activism, nothing gets done. And you get involved, you get started, you get to have the power. Because let me tell you folks, they do not care who you are when you go down there. 
I went down there. I testified in front of the Senate one time. It was a Senate committee hearing. I think it was was on the Judiciary Committee. And they didn't have the time of day for me. The first question was, who do you represent? I'm like, well, I'm here as a concerned citizen. Half of them got up and left the room. Didn't care. None of them care. The way you get to get noticed is by having a group, a group of thousands of people who will harass them if they do not do right, who will support them when they do do right, and who they know are going to hold them accountable in the media, in the elections, and everywhere they go. And that is GeorgiaCarry.org. That is how you get involved, and that's how you get some meaning behind your actions, behind your passions. So how do you become a member of GeorgiaCarry.org? It's so simple. Go to www.georgiacarry.org. Top left-hand corner, click join now. 20 bucks a year, you're a member. That's it, 20 bucks. You're going to find out where to be, when to be, and how to be. On top of that, you're going to be have access to local chapter meetings and know when they're showing up. Northeast Georgia, Northwest Georgia, Smyrna, Cobb County, Valdosta, Macon, Augusta, wherever you are, you can find or start a local chapter meeting to be able to have some interesting discussion, to meet with like-minded people, and usually enjoy some good food or range time. I went down to one in, in Valdosta a while back, and it was a great time. It was a great time of fellowship, of sitting and talking with people, of having some decent steak and some good food and some good camaraderie, of listening to someone talk about NFA Trust, which I do if you need one, Doug at kingslawoffice.net, um, it, getting some more information, a good topic to discuss, uh, finding out what's going on inside the organization. Because at these chapter meetings, there's almost always a board member who's going to talk for a few minutes about what's going on in inside georgiacarry.org and put a human face on it. The other thing is, if you can't make it to a chapter meeting and you don't have internet access, if you're listening to me over the, the airwaves on this beautiful, beautiful Saturday morning, then go instead to a gun show. Just about every single gun show, there's a georgiacarry.org table staffed by volunteers, 100% volunteer. You will never find a paid person at a georgiacarry.org booth working to get you information, to get you signed up so that we can grow this organization. We are right on the cusp of 10,000 members. This could be the year that we cross over that threshold and start to really have have a momentous movement to to sweep in some changes. There are things that I am desperate to see happen in Georgia. I want constitutional carry. I want it so bad I can taste it. It is time for Georgia to step up to where I used to live in Alaska and let people just carry their guns. If you're allowed to have it, you should be allowed to carry it, period. It's time to get there. We're moving that direction. We need your help. And if you're not a member, become a member. If you are a member, get more involved. Did I see you at the last meeting? Were you at the, the down at the legislature last week? If you're a member, why not? It's time to get moving. Pay attention to those emails. Pay attention to what's going on and get more involved. Folks, this has always been a passion of mine. I believe in this country. And the reason I believe in this country is because we have rights that are abridged just about everywhere else on the face of the earth. In some countries where where the people are truly free from government interference, it's devolved into a, a level of anarchy where there is no stability or security, and life has become nasty, brutish, and short. Those are the only places where there is more freedom than the U.S., but here in the U.S., there are too many people who are willing to sacrifice freedom for security and who want to live in a, a universal prison where they are monitored for their own protection. I want to fight that. 
we need to have the balance that our the founding fathers saw for a great nation. We still need to be able to project political power and military power. We still have to come together for, for public works that are beneficial to everybody. And there are times when an individual may, you know, lose some ground. I'm thinking specifically on eminent domain issues where, where people want to hold on to their piece of property, but a new dam has to be built in order to serve thousands or hundreds of thousands of people who have water needs. I'm thinking about some sometimes the, the you know there are certain occasions where the government has a legitimate use of its authority, but our government uses its authority way too much. When we are looking at 30 trillion dollars in debt in 10 years, the government's run amok. When our state government is spending 26 billion dollars in a year, and for what? When, when, I, I don't know, folks. We need to do something. We need to do something quickly. And the only way to get it done, the only way to get it in, in control is to get involved. You should be involved in the Republican Party or the Libertarian Party or even the Democratic Party. I don't care. Get involved in a party and start bringing some rationality. Start bringing so that it's not just the establishment hacks, the people who play the game to get where they are and who are beholden to special interests, who are interested in the political process. Donald Trump, if he wins, he will not win because he played the political contribution, special interest game that politicians are beholden to now. He'll win because... He had the ability to get his message out on his own, and people responded to a message that wasn't being bought and paid for by special interest groups. Well, we are those people. We are the people who can get out and make a difference. And if we're going to make a difference nationally, we need to start making a difference locally. GeorgiaCarry.org is not, while it is a lobbying group that helps make changes, it is not the kind of group that just sucks up money and then spews it out and, and buys candidates or, or donates to campaigns in such a way to try to get people to change their vote. What we do is we get people motivated. We get the grassroots going. It's not AstroTurf. It's not the way that they bus in people for for rallies this is the sort of thing where people where we just put out the call and hundreds of people drive on their own hundreds of people take off of work hundreds of people show up at the capitol and it's not fake it's not artificial it's real it's meaningful and you want to be a part of this you want to be a part of making not making america great but making georgia great your kids live here. Your kids deserve to go to school. Your kids deserve to be able to go and do research for their high school project at Georgia State without being turned away or robbed in the library. Your kids deserve a government that acknowledges the laws it passed. Your kids deserve better. And all that you do to make your kids' lives better is for not if you have a state or national government that can take it away in a heartbeat. Everything that you've done in your life to make your kids have a better life for you in the coming years is wasted if the government can pass a law and ignore it. It's wasted if the government would rather your kids be denied access to a public university library than to allow them to defend themselves. Everything that you have worked for in your life, your house, your savings account, 
your retirement benefits, the education that you're pouring into your children is pointless if we live in a society like that. So we've got to fix it. We've got to fix it now. The next generation is going to grow up thinking that TSA airport groping is normal. The next generation is going to grow up thinking that public school with monitors and cameras everywhere and police officers roaming the halls is normal, that that's the way it is. And when they go to a cubicle office building, if the police come in and raid them, they'll think nothing of it. So much for the Fourth Amendment, so much for unreasonable searches and seizures. If they are conditioned to think that way, it's over, folks, just flat out. There won't be any constitutional protections if the next generation doesn't learn to stand up for themselves. And how are they going to do it if they don't see you standing up for yourself? You know, John Quincy Adams was a great president, not because his dad was a great president. John Quincy Adams was a great president because he grew up watching men stand up and fight for liberty. He watched women get politically involved and stand up for freedom. He saw people overthrow a tyrannical government, and he learned... Why was Jimmy Carter a terrible president? Because he grew up watching people be subservient to a government, a government that didn't care about individuals. Now, he took that and ran in a different direction where he tried to help individuals a lot, especially after his thing, after his presidency. But, folks, it's got to change. It's got to change now. And you've got to set the example for your children, for the next generation, for your nieces and nephews. They've got to learn that having a gun is not evil, that standing up for your rights is not wrong, and that if you are going to be important in this life, if you're going to be important for your children's lives, that you've got to be politically active. Get out there. Get involved today. You've been listening to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio. I'll be back next week. Same bat time. Same bat channel. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.